Where's my medicine remix? Mm, drop! Drop it like it's hot. Hey, medicine remix, I love what you guys are doing. Everything is hot. From medicine remix. Medicine remix. You're listening to medicine remix. Really, I like the way you mixed. Medicine. Yo, I caught those. You thought I was going to miss those, huh? Because I've been sleeping on my anchor game. But I'm back. And you know what else? I think you inspired me to maybe take this anchor thing a little bit more serious. This was lit. Boys, awesome stuff. Great show. Awesome musical choices as always. Great song selection. And good ear, by the way, too, because you really, I thought that was dope how you picked up on it and put the music behind it. And um, it's definitely inspirational. I just found great value in this. I just wanted to call and give you props and just say thank you. Appreciate this conversation. I'm really curious, as doctors, what your thought is on all this. Just would love to know the medical perspective on that. Thanks. Guys, come on. Get to it. you got a job to do. You've got a community waiting for your opinions. Chop, chop. Chop it, chop it. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix only on Anchor. Bye. Support for today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Instant Success. Just add blood, sweat, and tears. Instant Success. Your better tomorrow starts today. Side effects may include not feeling sorry for yourself, putting in work, and severe gratitude. Ask your doctor if Instant Success is right for you. Excuses sold separately. Blood, sweat, and tears not included. Speaking of blood, sweat, and tears, back to the realness of remixing medicine only on Medicine Remixed. Yeah, she dissecting minds with both blade and brush strokes. They said it couldn't be done, now they under the jokes. MCMD. What's really good, Anchor Hood? It's your boy, Reesh. It's your station, Medicine Remixed. And what you might have just heard was uh, the inaugural call-in rhyme from my rap alter ego, MCMD, who was resurrected following my recent interview with Dr. Catherine Coe. And her story and message of not having to choose between art and science really inspired that rhyme by my inner verse practitioner, if you will, that inner surgeon of stanza, that flow bottomist that, that lives deep down somewhere in my soul. But uh, for anyone that missed the trailer for this episode of Documentaries, which is, of course, a segment we're trying to develop interviewing people we think are interesting and have some connection to health and medicine. And we did our first uh, episode um, way back in April uh, on 420, actually, with Dr. Sunil Kumar Agarwal, a.k.a. the Cannabinologist. And now our highly anticipated second episode features someone who we consider the most interesting woman in the world. Hence uh, the trailer uh, that some of you may have heard where we produced our own rendition of those classic Dos Equis commercials of the most interesting man in the world. And um, so we talked to an accomplished New York City neurosurgeon who also happens to be an accomplished artist. And actually we learned of each other not through our respective medical communities, but actually by following each other on Instagram a while back. And I think it was us who decided 
discovered her just really dope brain-inspired artwork and street art. We actually have her Instagram page linked up below, so definitely check out her amazing art gallery on the gram. Some really dope shit she creates and posts on the regular, and she's got a really great community on there that she engages with and inspires daily, and I don't know how she has the time, but um, definitely check her out. She's uh, truly an inspiration, and the dialogue for me personally was a breath of fresh air as someone who just finished my surgical training and ready to step foot into a career while desperately trying to keep the creative aspects of uh, who I am in motion through this medicine remix experiment. As some of our regular listeners know, I recently graduated from my orthopedic surgery residency and our graduation speaker was actually uh, a very renowned surgeon that's um, the current chief of orthopedic trauma at uh, Boston University, Dr. Paul Tornetta. And there was one particular part of his talk that particularly stuck with me and that was when he describes surgery as the art of decision making. Thinking about the flaws and what we think that we know and understanding that surgery is an art of decision making, right? Decision making is the single most important part of your surgical armamentarium. I just love that, the art of decision. Not incision, decision. It was like the first time I, I heard surgery described that way and I, I thought it was a perfect way to describe it and it really got me thinking about the words decision and incision looked up the etymology and it turns out uh, the words decision and incision share latin roots meaning to cut so i started to think about that a little bit and to me i think the word incision means cutting from the outside in while the word decision to me means cutting from the inside out. Decisions figuratively, like incisions, literally give you the power to cut away other choices to solve problems. And uh, among other things, Dr. Ko taught me in this interview that artists and surgeons make incisions in different ways, but uh, equally have the power to affect positive change in this world. And this conversation with Dr. Ko couldn't come at a more perfect time, you know, during a pretty existential time in my life where, you know, I felt for quite a while that uh, I've been like an artist trapped in science. So this conversation, which was recorded via the Anchor Interviews feature, by the way, was like a solid hour of just straight fire and wisdom by Dr. Ko that really can be applied to anything, I think, and not just medicine. Truly a fascinating conversation with a truly fascinating human. You know, we talk about everything from her journey into art and into neurosurgery, the single most important change that she made in her life that influenced the capacity of her brain. And we even bond about the music we play and don't play in the operating room. So please call in as always and leave us questions, comments, or just some old-fashioned love and uh, stay tuned to get some brainhead, aka your mind blown all fucking week. So favorite the station and keep us locked and loaded. You're listening to Medicine Remixed only. How's that for a suspenseful pause? Only on Anchor, y'all. Peace. As it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Hello. Dr. Cole? <laughs> In person. <laughs> no way! <laughs>
I know you're you're super busy, so I want to be like super mindful of your time. It's cool. Can we just, just jump into some questions? Yes, yes. But first of all, I want to thank you for um, you know in, interacting with me on Instagram. It's been a joy to follow you guys and. Um, uh, injury duty is fabulous. That, that truly means so much. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. It's like really. Oh, you're very welcome. Like such a such an honor, really, because like you know you're just so fascinating on on so many levels. I guess that's a good place to start. How do you balance what you do in the art world and what you do in the neurosurgery world? Like, what does a typical week for you look like? Well, you know, I first, uh, you know, I became a neurosurgeon first before I was an artist, and uh, really, that's my, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, once my career, in fact, I had never done any art, period, zero. I thought I was going to be a writer, and uh, huh. I thought that would be my creative outlet. And then I finished uh, neurosurgery at Mount Sinai, and, you know, it takes a few years to get your career going and stabilized. And once I did, I was actually chief at a um, level one trauma center in the Bronx, and I just decided at that point, after taking a few classes at the Y, 92nd Street Y in art, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I was terrible at it so I said okay either just quit or really learn the pre-med equivalent of art training and that's why I went back to art school I enrolled and I got a master's of fine art because I wanted to uh, learn the fundamentals uh, and then you know there was a there was something inside of me that wanted to express myself wanted to help uh, you know the kind of get humanity into the neurosurgical aspect for the patients also for uh, anybody in medicine, outside of medicine, who wants to get a glimpse um, of the poetic side of the central nervous system. And that's why I sort of went into art. Um, I think about 50% of my stuff is medical. The rest is, you know, humor and, uh, you know, just other stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a, hu I'm a huge fan. Like, all, all the stuff that you post on, on Instagram, it's just like, uh, it, it, there's just so many different types of art that you do too like and it's interesting that you say that you got into art later on because mm -hmm. i i was totally like it's so funny i'm looking at all my questions now just assuming that you uh grew up as an artist first and then decided to go uh into medical school because like that was kind of uh my come up in a way you know I, I identified as an artist first before going to medical school so i think that's super interesting that you did it in reverse yeah i didn't even know i could draw actually um it's actually just been about eight to ten years and i sort of just uh i don't know there was something inside of me you know i, I was thinking what else and so I always advocate for people to do everything that they feel is within their um, ability spectrum. You know, neurosurgery is kind of like, uh, well, you got to really focus. You, you can only do neurosurgery. I don't think it's true. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you should, you should maximize whatever abilities you have or that's in your heart to do because, uh, you know, one chance through earth. And so you may as well just do whatever you think you, you want to do. It might take a little bit more time if you're doing two or three things rather than just doing one. But if it's in your heart and you, you think you can make a difference to somebody uh, you know I think you kind of like owe it to get that get that message out and that's that's really what I'm all about is like I'm trying to show people that well yeah you can be a brain surgeon but you could do other things too and don't put stuff on the side that's that you really want to be passionate yeah. about could continue to do that you, you know your life is going to be higher for it and your medical practice in fact my neurosurgical career took off after I went into art it just, uh, I can't even tell how, you, it just it made a, well, you know, it made a huge difference and I think it helped my um, uh, operative skills, 
uh, because art brings uh-huh. a different set of cognitive abilities to whatever whatever you're looking at. You have a different sort of you know visual perspective, color. It helps on the operating field. Uh, it just opens a different channel in your brain, and I think neurosurgery helped my art <laughs> because you know neurosurgery yeah. you, know, you have to be very meticulous, very. Uh, it's painstaking, very accurate, and it, that aspect kind of helped my art too. Um, and observational skills go across art and uh, medicine. And so, if you be- you know you have really good observational skills, it applies to medicine as well as to art. And uh, same thing with music too. There's so many awesome people in uh, medicine, like you know, like you, you know yourself too. I mean, I think injury duty is a collective, correct? Yeah, it's myself and one of my best friends from medical school, who's actually finishing his uh, psychiatry residency in Alabama. Fabulous! So it's kind of it's interesting that the, the yin and yang in a way, and but we both mm-hmm. have a background in hip hop. Like you know, I I actually I grew up playing the drums, and that was like one of the very first things that I was I was drawn to. And then in college, kind of transitioned into because my roommate, my random freshman year roommate in college, uh, was just an unbelievable like true freestyle rapper like not like the freestyle oh wow that, that, yeah it was like truly unbelievable and then we, we we started performing like i would lay beats down for him and he would just freestyle and it got to the wow. point where like the, he was just saying this, like such crazy things like that I, I would like start to mess up like i couldn't even keep the beat because i was like like paying attention to what he was saying and wow. so i i started to uh, to write and really get into that and then a little bit got into the the production side of things and we used to throw parties all the time so one of our other friends was a dj so i i, I would hype i would hype for parties while he would dj and then in medical school like i wound up selling my drum set because like i, I lived in an apartment i couldn't practice it anymore and i used the money uh from that to buy some turntables and um, i never thought that i would do it in front of people but like i wound up being able to like pay my rent that way like in in med school like you started off just doing like you know class events and then you know i kind of branched out into the community there a little bit and then uh david come up like he he was a hip-hop producer before he decided to go into medical school. So we just wow. like, kind of like serendipitously met, you know, we hit it off on a, on a bunch of different levels, but you know, we just started to see all of these patterns. We really were craving that outlet because like, I, I feel like, you know, there's not enough of that in medical education and just like, you know, being able to use the, the, the creative aspects, just, just as you mentioned, there's so many amazing people in medicine and have like so many unique abilities and the ability to kind of take all of this knowledge that we're spending so much time and energy to to learn like to to be able to like make that accessible to people was something that we really kind of like developed a passion for that and then just seeing how much like medicine and health related themes are like everywhere we just started noticing it in like stand-up comedy like in hip-hop started hearing all of these like medical references there 
and then in sports like obviously with all the injuries and you know i'm an orthopedic surgery resident so mm -hmm. just like all of these like overlap of like the things that we were into outside of medicine you know that venn diagram like we were kind of like living in that that space where we we're just like well why can't we bring all of these elements together like why do we have to choose you know so i, I love your message of, uh, about like not having to choose and you know one of the reasons i really you know wanted to talk to you but here i am doing all the talking i want to well you know it's uh it's not a message for me it's 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 a it's my life you have to decide that you're not going to listen to what people in the past said that you know you have to put your nose to the grindstone and you got to do medicine no that's that's in the past we are too diverse we, we're going to waste too many of our parts of our brain if we turn our head and say, no, I'm just going to do medicine. No, you got to do whatever is in your heart. You do it. And that's why I'm, you know, that's why I was attracted to your account because I'm very attracted to people who can do, who want to do and push themselves to do as much as they can during their short time on earth and uh, keep going. I mean, do not let anybody tell you that you have to focus on one thing, you know, two, three, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that means so much because like yeah it's been a, like an existential few years uh to say the least but you know I'm, I'm gonna be spending a lot more time after graduation initially i'm i'm, I'm just gonna be doing some locum tenens yeah. stuff because i i really want to uh, try to build this a little bit just because it, it's really the thing that gets me most excited i just have to listen to that you kind of have to give in to that inner voice that tells you you know mm -hmm. uh yeah surgery is really cool and you know you're doing really good stuff you're helping people but is there more is there another avenue yeah. that you can influence people and help people, you know, fulfill their potentials? And so that, that's, you know, basically that's why I put my art on Instagram because I would just be doing art and I would be, you know, there's nowhere to show it. And so I think, you know, my right. gallery on Instagram is really my gallery. You know, I really value when that's people awesome. like stuff and they write, you know, they write nice things that move me. Um, I tell you, that means everything to me. That will put a smile on my face yeah. as, as much as much as saving somebody's life, you know, somebody that yeah, writes to me and yeah, says, but yeah. this piece moved me. That means a lot to me because that might help their life too, as much as me saving somebody's yeah, life. Yeah. Support for Medicine Remixed on this beautiful day to be alive comes from Gladville Gratitude Tablets, now available in gel caps. Get faster and longer relief for your fucking whining and complaining than any other brand out there. Gladville Gel Caps, for when you just need a gratitude adjustment. Now, let's get back to the amazing time you were just having listening to this station, only in your truly awesome life on Anchor. Oh, thank you. Hey, I've really been enjoying the uh, interview you've been having with Dr. Cole. Um, I think that's, that's, that's crazy that she was already a doctor, a surgeon, and then she decided she wanted to be an artist. And I think that's, that's pretty cool to be able to not limit yourself. You know, I, for me, I have nothing to do with the medical field, but you know, you see a doctor, you think, oh, they're a doctor. You don't really need to do anything else other than be a doctor. But I think that that's, that's kind of inspiring to see that somebody doesn't just settle or let themselves be confined to one thing. And even if you may be in a career that is very impressive, that you still need a, a creative outlet and I, that's pretty that, i really enjoy her insight on that and look forward to hearing uh more what she has to say on it 
who's to say that art can't be medicine? I mean, it is mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. It is, and that's part of the thesis of of what we're trying to do with like the whole medicine remix and injury duty project is is to prove that is to prove that music is is medicine, comedy mm -hmm. is medicine, motivation is is medicine, conversation like we're we're having right now. It's it's all uh, all medicine. It's just you know yep. we're consuming it in a in a way that's not traditionally thought of as a route of delivering medicine. Well, you know. I just wrote a piece for the American Association of Neurological Surgeons. It's going to come out in June, and it's called uh, "Neurosurgery in the Age of Instagram." Because I think the medical JPEG has, and you know, is really kind of uh, is just beginning to emerge. You know, and it's emerging quite late. The social media JPEG emerged a long time ago, but the medical JPEG is sort of seeping into consciousness now. And and then soon the yeah. video is going to come. The medical video, the one-minute medical video, yeah. and so it's kind of yeah, interesting yeah. because it's going to have such a profound influence it's going to get outside the hospital and outside the clinic and it's going to dis you know, disperse around you know the lay, the lay audience and so i think it's going to be very very important in terms of medical social media what happens with the images and the videos I'm really um, kind of keen on watching that myself. I've actually know, turned uh, to video now myself, you know. I actually started watching some of your, your Art on Call stuff. And, you know, speaking of the medical JPEG, I, I saw that you had one of the co-founders of uh, Figure One on, on your show, Art on Call. Those guys are on definitely the cutting edge of, of what you're talking about. Exactly, yep. Yeah, very interesting platform. I actually do a lot on uh, Figure One, and uh, it's, a, it's kind of a... It, it's a different from Instagram where it's a very, very closed environment. And, you know, one thing about the medical JPEG is you got to represent those images with dignity because, you know, that's a right. crisis. You know, that whoever is that, you know, the, this CAT scan or the MRI, it, that could be the worst day of their life. And so if you're just throwing right. it up on pop um, social media, it might be uh, disrespectful. Yeah. I don't know yet. We don't know yet. We haven't we haven't really right. developed the protocols or the, you know, the, the rules yet. Um, so figure one is different different because it's a medical uh, Instagram, but just putting it up on Instagram, I don't know, I rarely, rarely put medical images on Instagram. That's why it's really a gallery for my art um, rather than for the academic, uh -huh. you know, neurosurgical aspect. Right. Medicine always seems to be a, just a little bit behind as far as like, um, you know, some of the, the, the social media stuff and obviously, you know, things like uh, electronic medical records and, and, and all of these things. I, I recently gave a talk about social media and in, in the context of orthopedic practice and, and that kind of thing. And the amount of resistance, especially from the older um, attendings, it was almost like overwhelmingly just eye rolls and like, you know, this is, you know, kind of silly. For for someone that, that's been in the game for as long as you have, I really am interested how you kind of got started with uh, with social media, like how long you, you've been on it. Well, I'm a technology nerd. You know, I really, you know, I get into all the, I'm really, really tech tech oriented. I was doing video a long time ago and um, very digital. But, you know, if you think about it, medicine went to the di digital image in the 90s with Dicom and Pax. Right. way, way before the digital camera, let alone the cell phone digital camera. True, yeah. And so, and what, what happened was because of HIPAA, the image stayed in the hospital. And then, uh, you know, when medical students and people like that started with the cell phones, that's when the medical JPEG was born. That's part of the article that I wrote. Uh, because medicine has been sort of behind because there's, you know, secure privacy issues. 
uh, especially in the United States. Yeah, Most of the yeah. popular um, neurosurgery, I'm talking about neurosurgery only, neurosurgery uh, Instagram accounts are from outside the United States. And I think the American right. American neuros I'm talking about neurosurgery. American neurosurgeons have been very slow to come to um, a visual, uh, you know, visual gallery. Um, you know, Twitter is different. Yeah. Twitter is um, verbal, and you know, it's it's more writing um, now. They're starting to have some visual elements, right. but in- Instagram is really you, you need you need a gallery. You need vision. You need a visual, either a JPEG yeah. or a, or a video. Um, there's some people you can you occasionally can write an inspirational statement, but really you need you need visual stuff. And I think that American yeah. neurosurgeons have been a little bit. It's hard to put up. What are you going to put up? Uh, you're going to put up a CAT scan. Well, that might violate HIPAA. Um, so you know, I think right. we're in. A, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens uh, in the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like social media to help your help your practice in medicine uh, to Absolutely. get gain exposure Absolutely. to 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 meet new people. Uh, you, I met you through that, and to also learn. Yeah, you know, you you learn incredible amounts, and you know, if you have a little message to put that, you know, my tiny message out there of you know, look, go for it, <laughs> do everything you can, yeah. you know, um, use your oxygen well. That's my, you know, that's basically my message. And so, there's no way I could stand in the, uh, you know, 42nd Street and say that they cart me out. <laughs> I mean, you know, so social media yeah. has been really, right. really my venue to, you know, try to get, try to inspire, you know, the younger people to do it, you know, and uh, to, to, you know, if I did it. You can do it. Um, try, try. Don't, don't be so close. Don't listen to the, the, don't listen to the predominant message of you know. No, you can only do one thing in life. No, it's over. <laughs> That's right. dead. Right. Appreciate that so much. And like you know, your community just like loves you for for obvious reason. And like you know, the fact that you're able to like engage with your followers to a level where you know we're able to to do this, and you, you know you make the time, um, which still like. Like I, I would really be interested if you, if you would take us through like a day, like what a typical day like looks like. Like what was today like for you? Like to be able to balance all of these things in your life is just like uh, it's so valuable to, to learn because you're super inspiring to us, and you know we're, we're hoping to to kind of do what you do uh, in our own way. Well, you know, there's um, there's two things that I think made a fundamental physiological difference. Um, I just don't need that much sleep. And so, you know, three, four hours a night. How many hours? Really, three, four hours. Three, okay. three, four hours a night of sleep. Yeah, and that has been since, you know, I was 18, maybe 16, even. And that that's one thing that I think uh, puts a step up because you know you just you just don't need that much sleep. You know, the second thing is you know I write with both hands, and um, I think writing with both hands. Doing things, you know, it's called, you know, it's called ambidexterity. And I actually trained yeah. myself to, I switched hands in medical school. I switched to left. I, I'm right-handed, but I switched to left hand. You know, it did something to my brain, perhaps, uh, that's my theory, that, um, you know, made me more efficient. It just made me, made my thinking thought process more efficient. And, um, you know, I think, I think it opened up more, a different channel. And so, for example, like on, you know, I was on call, we, we were talking, we, you and I were um, DMing back and uh, on Instagram yeah. and, you know, I was on call while you were on call 
And so what will happen is, uh-huh. you know, um, I ended up in the operating room this past weekend. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and you know, you know, if you, you go to the OR during, and it's a, a kind of like a crisis emergency situation, um, you know, you, you come out of that and then you, you know, you sort of decompress. But, you know, basically you go to the hospital at 10 a.m. and at midnight you, you come home <laughs> because things just take right. a long time when there's an emergency. But, you know, on the ride home, I'm listening to music. I'm thinking, um, the patient is fine, and now I turn on my art hat, and I start to think, okay, yeah. you know, what was, what was that all about, and can I, is there something there that I need to put on paper? Is there something there? Is there a color? Is there a note? Is there a sound that will um, make me remember this, uh, mean something to somebody? And so what I find myself doing now is extracting art from the medical experience. You know, music is really, really important to me. I can't even tell you. I mean, I can't even put a pen. I can't even put a pen to a paper without music in the background. And um, I just need to have sound. I, I just need to have music before I do art. Now, in the operating room, it's it's very different. You know, say you got two anesthesia people, uh, scrub tech. You can't play music because nobody will agree on what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah. The, the ultimate flight of a DJ is like you can't please everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what music do you guys listen to in your OR? It depends on on the attending. Like obviously, yep. my my favorite attendings are are the ones that that listen to hip hop. But yeah, you know, they're anything from like show tunes, which is somewhat concerning to me at times. Yeah. And some listen to country, some listen to oh. uh, just like, you know, just like top 40, really wide variety. But yeah, if I, if I have control of it, like, you know, I'll put like a, a mix of some kind on and I, like, I slowly I'm going to start putting out some mixes, you know, getting back into the, the, the DJing and maybe I'll call it like, you know, OR mixtape, you know, volume. Go one. for it. Yeah, yeah. That's dude, brilliant. That's, be, that's really absolutely, and I'll be... <laughs> Let me tell you, I'll be the first one to buy it. Buy it, <laughs> but you know, please, no you know, you know what's funny is that um, my I had to suffer through a spine fusion when I was um, maybe first year attending, and the uh, the guy that I was doing it with was you know twenty years older or something like that. I had to listen to country western music for oh, oh my, it's brutal, for, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah I uh, I learned that you know yeah you you, you kind of kind of have to find a happy medium. Because it just annoyed yeah. me. His choice of music just yeah. annoyed me. So <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so interesting, though, isn't it? Like even from a neuroscience perspective, you know, he like genuinely enjoys that. But for me, that the twanginess. There's just something about the sound of country that it's just like I have the same reaction as you. I think that that's super fascinating, you know, what, what yep. people are moved by. Yeah, exactly. And so so then kind of like, um, you know, you, you ask the anesthesiologist what they want and you ask the scrub tech. And, and so basically we're listening to the heartbeat. <laughs> We're yeah, just, I'm yeah, just, you know, yeah. like one, 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 and then, and, and you know, okay, we're, we're going to listen to the heartbeat. <laughs> the, the ultimate 808, ultimate yeah, right. drum loop. <laughs> Is there a particular type of music that you like listening to when, when you're writing or, or, or doing art, or does it vary? You know, with, with writing, um, no words help. Either, uh, you know, when, when I'm writing, right. it's either Agreed. no words, yeah. so it's, it's, it's music, or, um, and usually it's jazz, honestly, or um, foreign, la- foreign language that I can't understand and so that that'll work and then I but I'm really into like even very eclectic music like I'll even find
follow a guy, a Samoan singer. I mean, I'm from Hawaii, so the Pacific Basin is really um, important to me. But I have a whole, my, my, I can't even categorize what music I like. And then when I'm doing art, um, I like um, contemporary music, whatever it is, you know. I, that's, you know, sort of, okay. I sort of need the beat with, you know, to, with when I'm painting. Uh-huh. Um, in the operating room, you know, if I can uh, get away with it, I'll just, you know, I'll play whatever's contemporary. Um, so, so it, you know, it just depends where I am and what I'm doing. Well, what about you? I mean, uh, you know, when you're when you're at home, what do you listen it, to? Yeah, you know, I, I do listen to a lot of uh, of hip hop and R and B. But my wife is really into like some EDM, but like you know, like indie kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I start to lose track of like how to categorize like some of these genres. But um, yeah, I, I grew up I grew up listening to like punk rock and metal just because of like, yeah. you know the the environment that I grew up in but then you know I think I was always drawn to hip-hop I think that that's like kind of where my first love is and you know even when I DJ like my music IQ for hip-hop stuff is just you know way you know standard deviations above like anything else I think you know totally and uh, you know it's interesting because somebody once asked me well you know what's your inspiration for art we were talking about art and I said it's a note and so what happens is you know I'll hear something whatever it is some some song, some note, some phrase, and uh, that'll start kind of like stay in my head, you know, it'll play over and over and over, and then that becomes the kernel for the painting. And because, you know, the colors are sort of like notes, you're putting together a painting, but just like, you know, you're putting together a song, it has to be cohesive and it has to work. And then if you step back, it's almost mathematical. The way things yeah. work, there's a certain formula right. and then you, you flip back to science. Yeah. And so, you know, you go through yeah, the spectrum the, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The Beach Boys are great American music. The Beach Boys gonna get you a great ass whooping. Ever touch a black man's radio, boy? You can do that in China, but you can get your ass killed out here, man. I'm gonna show you real music. Play Snoop in an OR. Maybe in a vet practice. Don't play Snoop in a human OR. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. Dr. Dre is actual medical doctor. I think he went to Baylor. Now that's good OR music, yo. Appendectomy. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color new dimension, new values, and a new experience. That's like on some like ultra, ultrasound shit, you know? Like it's like, yeah, yeah. it always fascinated me how ultrasound is like a visual imaging technique that's based on sound. 
volume, pump up the volume. Like that you could see through sound uh, was always something that was like so fascinating to me. You know, I don't, I don't know how to articulate that in, in more scientific means. Well, it's the electromagnetic scale, right? You know, you have all the, you know, from, uh, in, you know, ultraviolet to infrared. And so, uh, uh -huh. you know, it's kind of like sound, but also, you know, the colors are on there too. And so it's really, I mean, you know, basically everything comes back to science, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because I'm talking, to, I'm talking to somebody who's really interested in sound and music, and there's a drill, um, a, you know, a craniotome, right, to open the skull with. And at one of the hospitals that I was working at, you know, it emits a sound. And I just happened to notice one. I happened to notice because I have very good, um, I have relative pitch, meaning that if you, if you, you know, you hum the note, I could, if you hum something, I could tell right. you basically pretty close what note it is. And so I started to realize that the drill, the drill had to be, uh, it was a, it was a, a, a pneumatic drill. So it had to be air, it had to be pressurized so that the sound was G sharp. And if it was G wow. or A, it wouldn't work as well. So that, there's a, a little bit of, you know, everything <laughs> comes back to like, you know, music, science, sound, and it's, it's fascinating. But that, anyway, that's one of the, um, th and I, I actually did a painting called Craniotomy in G sharp with me holding, uh, it's a, kind of a self-portrait. So yeah, me holding the, um, the craniotome, wow. but it is, and in order for that to work, it had to be G sharp. Um, yeah, it's, it's something. And I would the nurses would I would and I would tell the nurses that ain't G sharp. <laughs> and they go, Oh, Doctor Cole. I said, No, no, turn it up, turn it up. <laughs> yeah, turn up for sure. Yeah, on, on yeah, yeah. One. That's a, that, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I got hot sauce in my bag. What was it like growing up in Hawaii and you know what what were you like as a kid? Well, you know I'm biracial, so I'm half Korean and half Caucasian. It's a great place to grow up because everyone there is mixed race. Um and uh, you know I went to undergraduate there. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. I ma majored in okay. zoology because yeah, I love I love animals and I thought I was going to go into vet and then I sort of changed around after second year. Uh I changed and I went into I you know I got the pre-med, you know, requirements and then I went I got into medical school at the University of Hawaii and then I came to um New York. New York City did internship and then actually did my residency at Mount Sinai uh, in New York City and stayed. And I stayed because, and I didn't know it then uh, why I was so attracted to the city, but I guess I was attracted to the city because of the energy and just uh, the dy dynamism and also because of the art. Although I wasn't doing art, yeah. I was seeing art and it was affecting me. Right. And so I guess, you know, I guess I was accumulating all this uh, kind of art knowledge without even knowing it. And so then when right. the time came, when the time came for me to do art I you know I had you know had seen a lot of contemporary art and you know I sort of it sort of flowed out of me I mean it's basically something that you know um, doing neurosurgery it just had to come out <laughs> you know it's like a, I don't know I don't yeah. know how else to explain it it's just it just I had to bring it out in order to be happy um, just being being a neurosurgeon alone wasn't enough I you know that um, yeah, for, you no, know I'm I, talking I, about I, for professionalism I just I had to do sure. something more to um, express myself and 
um, it was in my soul. And, and then finally, when that came about, um, I became much happier in both neurosurgery. I don't know, it, it helped everything, it made me a lot happier person. It just gave me chills, by the way. <laughs> uh, you too? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's tremendous. I love that. I love that. Oh, oh that's what I wanted to ask you. Did, did you play, uh, because you, you were talking about the whole pitch thing. Did you play an instrument growing up? Yeah. What, what did you play? Yeah, I played, I played piano. I played sax. I played a little bit wow. flute. Yeah, you know, I have this ability to figure out how to, uh, I'm not, but I'm not good. I mean, I don't want you to think that I'm playing in the subway and getting money for it. I'm not, I'm really, but it's been, it's real important for me to have an instrument around. Um, I kind of like go to it when I go to it during time I go to an instrument musical instrument during times of um, when I need comfort uh, because it's not it's not like my art which is a second career and you know people will say oh you're so lucky you have art isn't that relaxing no it's not relaxing art is my second career is my dual career and when I put things out I put my heart into it um, but when I have a mu musical instrument lying around whether it's a ukulele or um, piano keyboard it's just to something you know it's just a play you know some some tune is in my head I'll, I'll play it um and you know it's just a, it's just to touch it and somehow you know 15 minutes makes me feel better but i always have to have uh an instrument around you know to touch it to hear it just even to look at it <laughs> that that you know that outlet is there M music like i said you know it's it's essential um it's very very important to what i do in in life i have to have it playing all the time almost that, that's exactly how I feel too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Really, like yeah. Um, I need it. I absolutely do. And, and that makes total sense that you know you were able to you know really pick up art and excel there as well. Like uh, I'm just reminded of uh, this interview with um, Robert Rodriguez. He's a director. There was this interview where he's talking about you know how he makes all of his actors paint the ones that work with him for the first time and who don't have any you know fine arts background they're just like I can't paint mm -hmm. and then he goes uh, but you but you can act like if you can be creative in in one medium that automatically makes you able to be creative in anything else he was like just try and like 100% of them are are able to paint and you know obviously you know develop Do you believe that everybody is uh, is creative and is able to to kind of you know excel at, at anything creatively? Well, you know, one of the things that I've been pondering, and I I would like to um, come to some resolution of of this question before I die. How do you teach creativity? I I I don't know. I, all I know is that when I yeah. I would I was thinking different a long time, um, you know, like even in like when you were in like sixth grade or seventh grade, and the teacher would ask me a question, I was thinking a little bit different, so so differently that I couldn't answer it. <laughs> And so a lot of the times I, I you know, I, I was embarrassing myself and I would be thinking that they were asking one thing when she was asking something very straightforward. I don't know how to teach creativity. The same way. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I would embarrass myself. I would be answering something like, um, you know, they'd ask like, well, what do you think about this? And I'd answer something about Antarctica. Right. And, and you know, everyone would be snickering. 
and I would feel really bad. But then um, I realized yeah. that I just, you know, I, I don't really, I have a different way of thinking. And a lot of people do. I'm not special by any means, but a lot of people have different ways of thinking. But I'm just, I just want to figure out how can I, how do you teach creativity? And I just, I mean, that's one of the questions regarding, you know, my interest in the brain, the human brain. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how I would, you know, how, what's the avenue for expanding somebody's creativity? Of course, there's a ton of books and popular culture, you know, color this, that, the other, look at the, you know, look in the scenery, spend time in nature. But I don't know how to teach that kind of, I, I, I'm wondering how somebody gets that. Like if I were to do, you know, yes. open up, a, you know, how, how do you teach somebody, well, this is how you do creative thinking. Because I think there's a lot, there, there might be a lack of it. And I know that, you know, if I hadn't been as kind of stable in my career in neurosurgery as I am now, uh, to have come out with this yeah. art thing, to have done this art thing, mm-hmm maybe as a resident uh, because I did do some I did a I did holography as a resident um, and that wasn't received that well uh, you know it's just sort of like you what, know, is, what is holography what is holography again well holography is um, it's a hologram and I did you know hol- oh, okay. I did holograms yeah. yeah I did holograms actually I have a video on my gallery with um, holograms I did holograms of the human brain and uh, this was way back when nobody had ever done it. And because uh, I coupled, I, you know, I partnered with some artists who were doing holograms in New York and made, made a hologram of the human brain. But it wasn't really received that well in residency. It's, it was sort of like quirky, uh, even though, you know, I yeah. published scientific papers and, it, you know, it's, it's in that field between art and science. It, it could go either way, but it was seen sort of quirky. Right. Now, now I think because my, my art came out, you know, my paintings and my drawings and my multimedia came out a little bit later in my career when I was kind of established. I think they're listening now. Um, and I'm talking about yeah, you know the, yeah. neuro, the neurosurgical community at large. I think they're listening. But if I had done it from the beginning, they would have said, oh, she's an artist. You know, she, oh, right. she does art. You know, so I think that's, um, right. that, and I, I, that's one of the things I really want to change is that it's not so odd that somebody, you know, is, is a dancer and also an OBGYN or is a actor. Right. Right. And, and a dermatologist. Well, hell, more power to them. And you know, let's let's yeah. celebrate these people who are so creative that they can do these things because that's what we need in the world. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. We need people. We you need know, people crossing it. those boundaries. You know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Could not agree more. What it do, Anchor Crew? It's your boy, Reesh. It's your station, Medicine Remix. I hope y'all have been enjoying the documentary segments this week with uh, Dr. Catherine Coe, a.k.a. Doc Ambidexter. Been getting a lot of feedback on all of our platforms where we've been pushing this Dr. Coe anchor medicine like it's crack. So thanks for everyone that called in, leaving us love this week. We have a handful of segments left from the Dr. Coe interview, which for the fans of it so far, I think are actually the best parts of the interview, if I do say so myself. Thanks, Jay. Jay-Z agrees. But before we get into those, I wanted to take a second to reflect about the fascinating question Dr. Ko brought up about how do you teach creativity? You know, we would love to hear your thoughts out there in Anchorville, so please call in and share your thoughts on this because I think it's actually a really important question that 
should be the focus of our played out education system in America and in most parts of the world for that matter. I've thought about this question a bunch after that interview with Dr. Ko a few weeks ago and actually my wife Rama who for the new listeners out there is an OBGYN and makes a cameo appearance now and then on Medicine Remix when we talk about anything related to women's health. So anyway, Rama has been getting sneaky with the voice memo app on her iPhone and she's been hitting record without telling me uh, when she senses that a rant is about to come out of me. You know, to capture me when I'm in the zone. And it's maybe technically fucked up, but I love her for capturing these moments and I'm encouraging her to continue to do it. So you may uh, hear more of these and let us know if, if you like them or if we should scrap it. But I give you all that context to set this next segment up where I remixed a conversation Roma and I had in my car about this question about how to teach creativity, which also turned into a conversation about parenting and how to foster an environment that really optimizes the ability of a child to find the things that naturally make them curious and excited. And I think it also plays on some of the themes you may have heard in the segments we played with Seinfeld and Louis C.K. talking about why they went into comedy and in the segment with psychologist Dr. Carol Dweck talking about fixed mindsets versus growth mindsets. So without further ado-do, next up is that conversation with Rama that was inspired by Dr. Ko's question of how do we teach creativity? You're listening to Medicine Remixed only on Anchor. This is what what Dr. Ko and I were talking about of like, how do you teach creativity? How do you teach it? You don't. You can't. You can foster it. Yeah. Allow that kid to figure out what gives them that feeling of like, oh, this is fucking awesome. I don't care if I suck at it because that's how much I love it. That's where the whole premise of parenting comes because as a parent, you have that leash. You have the kid. You have the leash. And it's up to you how tight you want that leash to be or how loose you can let go of the leash. But I I do think that as a parent, it's your responsibility to still hold on to the leash, but just let them go as far out as they can before they fucking like jump off the cliff and like kill themselves, you know? You know, there's extremes. Having somebody giving you a length of rope that's unlimited so that you can explore and figuring out like you know what you're good at that like level of nurturing and then once that that person like you know finds out that like oh the piano is that thing for me that I'm gonna pour all of my like nourishment like my resources to like encourage you to like follow that thing that makes you that excited in in terms of like pushing you to work hard and to to giving you whatever you need to like go after that thing that makes you so excited like there are very few parents that I, I think that really do that because I think in order to do that you yourself have to have been able to like explore because like this is the problem this is the problem with like you know trying to live vicariously through your kids because so many people like were like pushed like or like for whatever reason did not achieve that thing that they wanted to go after they did not 
were not able to follow their their inner voice. They were not able to go after their why, and they wind up being this thing that they fucking hate. And now they have a kid, and now like you know they keep that length of rope so tight, that leash so tight to the point where it's like I'm just gonna use this fucking kid to do all the things that I should have fucking done and suffocate them. And then that kid's not doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. So even though they might be like fucking, yeah. You know, some of these people, even though that they're so good at this thing, they were fucking pushed. They were like the ones that were held in that short fucking leash by their parents that like couldn't fucking do that thing for themselves. So then they wind up having all types of fucked up mental health issues like later on, whether it's addiction or depression or anxiety or whatever it is that ultimate like harmony of like because like parenting is like one of those things that it's it's fucked up to like tell anybody how to parent because every fucking kid is different everybody has that different why everybody has a different purpose so like to instill like some level of struggle while at the same time nurturing them and not instilling them with enough resilience and confidence and like I got your back no matter what but like you got to get out there you got to fall on your face but you got to keep doing that thing for that thing itself my entire job when you're you know a young kid and this is, goes back to like how do you teach creativity you don't foster it just like you said create a situation where it's like i just picture this room that has like a fucking basketball hoop a fucking piano like a fucking set of turntables just like a museum of shit to fucking try see what you gravitate towards and then it's like oh i fucking love this thing it's like like i don't care that i'm terrible at it because like i just think it's so interesting i want to be better at it and that's what you go after like you know that that thing that you're just like you know, I don't even care if I fucking suck at this. Like that Louis C.K., why did you become a comedian? It's like when I saw a comedian, I saw, I want to do that. I don't care how terrible I am at it. And then the guy's like a millionaire now. But like if he did that thing because he was like, oh, this guy makes a million dollars. I want to I do that. It's like, you're not going to be a fucking successful comedian. But if you're doing that thing for that thing itself, just like if you went to medical school because like there's nothing else in this world that would make you feel that feeling like taking care of sick people like I would do this fucking shit for free because that's how it makes me feel it's like that's the guy that you want to be your doctor versus you know the majority that like did not do it for that that's how you achieve harmony in your life and imagine if everybody was able to do the thing that they were supposed to be doing harmony harmony like that's one step closer to a better fucking world everybody doing the thing that excites them the most whether it's fucking tap dancing or orthopedic surgery or whatever the fuck it is. Hey guys, how's it going? I loved your piece with Dr. Ko about teaching creativity. Uh, she's always wonderful, and uh, I think it's a very important question to be asking. Now, this is something I've given some thought to, because as you know, I have an interest and an involvement in education, so uh, this is one of my topics that I like to dedicate some thought to. So I've got some ideas uh, about this, and I would never be able to put them down in just one minute, so... I'll do two or three calls, and if you're interested, you might want to publish them. If not, you can just edit and stitch them together however you see fit. So I'll start doing that from the next one. (laughs) 
On the topic of teaching creativity, I think we need a three-pronged approach, three steps that might not be equally important but are all individually necessary. So the first one, I think, is to master the craft. We need to teach kids to master the art forms, to understand their structure, the technical and formal requirements. You know, we sometimes think of the genius as someone who comes at it from outside a discipline and just radically reinvents it from nowhere. That exists, it happens, but it's very, very rare, and you'd have to be a towering genius, a man of, or woman of extraordinary talent to pull that off. Most other people come at it after years of mastering a craft, of understanding the techniques, understanding the structure, understanding the formal and aesthetic requirements. So in schools, we need to foster that. We need to teach people that before you can take flight and experiment, you need to master the craft. The second and, in my view, most important step in teaching creativity is we need to foster the idea in kids that it's important to think outside the box. We have to dare. We have to take chances. And together with that, that it's okay to make mistakes. Because if you're taking chances, you're going to screw up a lot. But from those screw-ups and from learning from that, but also from the chances you take, that's where creativity springs from. And I feel that in our conformity-loving culture, we're not teaching kids this. In in fact, we're teaching them to be afraid of screwing up, to, to, to stay within the box. And look, we all have that moment at school where the teacher asked the question and we knew the answer and we raised our hand and we said the answer and it was wrong and everyone laughed. That moment is etched inside our memory. We have this culture of, oh no, I can't be seen to be wrong. But that's wrong. We actually need to be able to think outside the box, take chances, dare and also screw up. We need to teach this. Another step in teaching creativity is we need to broaden people's educations and get away from the current trend of hyper-specialization whereby we only study a few select subjects. Instead, no, we need to be broad. We need to engage with everything from the art to history to the other humanities and sciences. Because here's the thing. Creativity is often just a matter of finding connections between different things that other people didn't see there. You know, we all know the stories about the guys on the Manhattan Project who got their intuitions from playing golf and how the, the ball would spin. If they didn't have access or exposure to golf, they might not have had that intuition. And the more different things you study, the more subjects you have where you can sort of pick different connections and different elements and see whether analogies work or not. That broadening of our education, that being a bit more polymathic, I think that's very important because you have more things you can make connections between. On the topic of teaching uh, creativity, I, I know you started something a while back, probably you know shortly after you decided to become ambidextrous, which I, I want to get back to that too. But um, <laughs> the organization was called Ambidexter, is that right? It's something that you started a while back to, to teach how to use both hands? Yeah, you know, I was in, when I was in medical school in Hawaii, you know, your first and second year, we actually wrote on paper back then. <laughs> okay, for me to stay awake, I, I don't do well when I'm sitting and in one place I move a lot and so for to stay awake I just you know one day I just said okay I'm going to the left I've switched to the left hand because I have to concentrate and so then after um, you know a while I became like being able
able to write with both hands. And I've, you know, I've told people along the the way, you know, this has made a huge difference in me. But you know, the thing is, it is so difficult. It's like learning a second language. How did you think to do that? Like, is it something that you read or no? Like, how did you? No, I just I did it to stay awake. I said, you know, how can how can I stay awake? Listen to this pathology thing. Okay, well let's let's concentrate on. Let me move the pen to the left hand, and then I'll have to stay awake. Otherwise, it'll fall out of my hand. And so I really had to concentrate to take notes with my left hand. And yeah, half of them, you know, the first month I couldn't read any of them. And so, <laughs> but then you know, gra- gradually it uh, you know it got. You know, it's like riding a bike and, uh, you know, gradually, you know, that the motor fibers kick in and uh, you, you get it because, you know, switching to the left hand, unlike a language which is more cognitive, um, switching to the left hand, re- you know, requires motor skills too. And so, um, it you know, requires you concentrating on the left hand, but also writing too. And, you know, um, and, and I think it helps in surgery too, because, you know, surgery is physical. You know, surgeons are athletes, essentially. And so I think, I think using the ability to use both hands, I, I think it was an advantage in surgery. Um, so, it, you know, that the whole process of switching over to the other hand was, you know, not only helpful you know, helping me, you know, be more creative, I think, um, and also, you know, physical skills too, you know, being able to use both hands, mm-hmm. not tiring your right side. Are you right-handed or left-handed, by the way? I'm right-handed. My wife is left-handed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just not use, yeah. not tiring, not tiring your right hand, right side, not being, you know, not getting, not fatiguing the right side. So it helps to kind of like, you know, like balancing the tires, rotating the tires. It helps to be able to, you know, kind of take some of the heat off your right side, mechanical wear. So, you know, there's a mechanical thing, there's a, a cognitive thing, but it's oh, really? very difficult. I mean, it, it takes a lot of determination. And actually, I've preached it a long yeah. time. I don't know if I've ever gotten any converts. <laughs> So over. Like, I, it's like, you know, I, it's something that I, I did not even really hear about. It's, it's just yeah. something that I, I haven't heard of, but it, it makes so much sense when you're describing it. How long did it take you before you, you felt like I'm, I'm left-handed now? I can totally use my left hand. Well, you know, it, it was the hardest thing I did. It was harder to become left-handed than it was to become a neurosurgeon. Can you imagine? And um, <laughs> I, yeah, I it was. But it was the best thing I ever did. If, if there's one thing that I did to help myself that was free, that was it. Um, and I really wow. became, yeah, I, I, yeah, I have to, I have to tell you it. And I really became um, ambidextrous. You know, I don't use my left hand as well as I use my right. I'm not a natural ambidexter. I'm a self-taught ambidexter, which is, you know, I'm basically right-handed, but I use my left hand a lot. Um, it took me um, years because, you know, I was in medical school, and you know, you're going to the OR, you're not going to like say, oh, can I practice yeah. on my left hand? No. So, yeah, the, you yeah. know, it, it took it took a while. Um, you know, I used to tell people it took 10 years of off and on doing it. But my nephew actually converted to um, left-handed and it took him four months. You know, he, he just put his head down and he oh. did it. He, yeah, he did it in four months. And so... Um, How old was he when he did that? He was young. He was 18. He did it in high school. You know, if you really diligently do it, you can do it. But you know, it takes determination because you're going against what you were born with. Your your natural um, brain symmetry. You're going against it. If I can tell anyone what um, has made the biggest difference in my life, it's mm-hmm. that's got to be it. And uh, yeah, that's that's so definitely got to be it. Wow. Hey, 
And did you yeah. formally teach, um, you know, the, this philosophy through through that ambidexter organization? Is that something that you were formally doing at some point? No, there's um, there's only there, no there's only one member. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping to. Um, at the turn of the last century, there was a thing called the ambidextral cultural movement, whereby they were thinking that they were raising kids and teaching them to use both hands, but it failed, and it failed because they didn't understand the brain. And the brain is really hardwired from birth. You know, you're right or you're left-handed. The, the true ambidexter, there are some that exist on Earth, and that's the rarest brain. You know, Bill Gates writes with both hands. I've seen in interviews him say this, and there's been some other really notable people, like they say Leonardo was ambidextrous and things like that, but I don't think you can really move somebody from right-handed to left-handed until their brains are settled, and that means after 18 or 19. I think the best time to do it is in their 20s when I did it, because you don't interrupt the way the brain is naturally forming, I think. I don't know. I don't have any scientific basis for this. I just can tell from what it's meant to my life. It's meant so much to me, and so if you yeah, can take yeah. off some of the stress and move move from right to left-handed, I think it uh, it helps you create longevity in your career. I, I'm yeah. totally going to look into this. If you were to like develop like a curriculum and you were going to going to like actually go forth with the Ambidexter Academy and um, <laughs> what type of what type of what type of like exercises would you like other than just writing are there other things that you did to develop the use of your left hand like you know, like dribbling a basketball or like whatever it is well you know the thing is is to become more aware and so instead of like reaching for the doorknob with your right hand reach for it with your left hand instead of like putting the key in your door with your right hand do it with your left hand start and uh, brush your teeth with your left hand it's a little bit rough in the beginning you know you're not as um you'd be surprised at how much of the side of your body you miss out in using my thing is like you know you you pass through this life once you got another side that you don't use why not deploy that to make your life more efficient and it's, it's kind of like a philosophical thought too besides you know the actual doing of it you know kind of don't waste mm -hmm. that side because if it can right. help make your life better then just might be something you might want to consider you know you start off with simple mm -hmm. things it's just try, trying to be aware of what you're not doing with that left hand is it just right. hanging there what are you not doing with it try to be aware of it and then my feeling is once you can write with your left hand you're done that click in your brain has gone off yeah. it's just like you ride that bicycle you come back to it five years later you're rusty but you can still ride it once you write with your left hand pretty well you're done you're, you're, something has wow. something has shifted over yeah so that's uh, you know something to think about I, I hope that's people exactly. take it up yeah I hope because you know I think artists would really benefit from it also when I was oh, yeah. getting I, my I feel like everybody could yeah yeah well when I was getting my masters of fine art so many paintings week after week after week and I'd be working on a painting and I and it was going nowhere and then I would say okay go to your left hand and all of a sudden I broke through that barrier I just by switching to the wow. left hand this is fascinating I'm, I'm totally going to try um, <laughs> some of these things and, and report back if I'm able to do it that sounds unbelievable uh, I guess like on, on this topic is the idea that we have a dominant brain hemisphere have 
any scientific truth or is that just like a myth perpetuated by by the media? Well, you know, the thing is the world is mostly right-handed. And so Mm -hmm. the left hemisphere drives that right side and speech is in the left hemisphere and writing is, you know, you're you're driving your writing hand. So I think think basically we're operating off the left hemisphere. And so I have no proof of this. I mean, I'm kind of thinking about it in my head. Maybe it's totally wrong, but I, I think by switching to the other hand, you might access that other hemisphere a little bit. You know, by switching right. to the left hand, you might access that right hemisphere more. I really think that my brain rewired when I switched over. Of course, this is one of those things where, you know, if I stood up and said it in a conference, they'd pretty much laugh. But the other way of looking at it is why not? <laughs> you know, why not do it? If there's anything you can do to make your life better, that doesn't hurt anybody. Why not try right. using that other hand, you know? So anyway, that's the way I look yeah, at it. Yeah, I love that. A lot of people that listen to our station, are, they're definitely going to love this. We'll get get a few more members to uh, the Ambidexter Academy here. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to tra- I'm going to trademark that name. That's be- brilliant, uh, yeah, Ambidexter that's Academy. That's all yours. <laughs> that's all yours. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> no, of course. What initially uh, got you interested in in neurosurgery? Like, why neurosurgery versus, like, plastic surgery or something? Like, I'm just interested what attracted you to to brain surgery. The brain. Really, really the complexity of the brain. You know, nothing like it on Earth and just trying to, in my small way, to understand it. And, you know, I've always, I've often said that, you know, when you unveil the, you know, the living human brain in the operating room, when you open the skull, go through the dura, ah, there's nothing. There's no bigger masterpiece in art than that. And I have the honor, I have the honor to see it. You know, um, can you imagine an artist being able to see, you know, a living human brain? Uh, you know, you know, I go to my grave like just being so grateful that I was able to, you know, have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so that that's basically it, trying to understand the human brain and just, you know, you know, reveling in its beauty and and you know the spine, the central nervous system also. But um, yeah, yeah just really grateful that I, you know, was able to um, somehow you know, get into neurosurgery and then somehow have a career in it. Really, really, that's it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's not as, it's not as nice as a femur, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, I haven't looked at a femur in, in you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not missing that much. <laughs> okay. There's a certain, there's a, you know, the, I'll tell you what though, in art, uh, there's nothing more beautiful than drawing the bones. Uh, and really, I mean, mm. the bones are just—they're just exquisite. One of my best pieces is, a, is a, the bones of the feet. Um, they're just really, really beautiful. So uh, don't underestimate yeah. the beauty of a bone, also. You know. Oh uh, no, I know. I mean, the, the, the whole—the whole body is fascinating. Every part of it yep. uh, in its yep. own right. But I, I agree with you about the brain. It's just like this holy grail. Like there's just—I just feel like we've just scratched the surface. Like if that. I mean, there's just so much that we don't know about it. Dr. Ko, this this was so phenomenal. We we have to do a round two. Like there's just so many things that I, I still want to ask you, but I want to be you know respectful of your your time. Thank you. Um, it, it's my, it's my joy, really. It's my joy uh, to uh, interact. As I said from the beginning, from the first time I saw your account, I said you're doing something that nobody else is doing in medicine, and 
by the heavens, you must continue because you are showing the young generation what is possible. Okay? So, I, and I told you that. I wrote to you and I told you that. You must yeah, continue. Yeah. You must continue. And, there, you know, there'll be some times where you put it on the side because, you know, your orthopedic career yeah. is busy, this and that, but come back to it. You'll come back to it. You'll find your way back. You're, you're like beyond an inspiration like that. that you, don't, you don't know how much that means. It, it truly means the world. Thank you so much. We're definitely going to you know, link up your social media pages. Would you, is it safe to say that you spend most of your time on Instagram? Uh, Instagram, um, you know, Instagram, Snap, Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, okay. very, little on okay. tw- very little on Twitter. But, you know, we'll, yeah. be, in, we'll be in touch. I'm going to follow your career with uh, curiosity and, uh, and pride. I'll be very proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. That, that means You're very welcome. We're obviously huge fans of you. So thank you so much again. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All the best. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? And if you don't know, now you know, you know, you know. Little uh, remix drop. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Crush. Yo, son, pass me the medicine. Medicine remix. Medicine remix. Doctors and tunes. Mixing and remixing and sampling here on Anchor. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know I'm hanging out with someone and they said that they listened to your station and loved it. Just wanted to give you that feedback. I really love everything that you all are doing and saying over there. Keep up the good work. Salute. Oh, I, lo- I love that story. What a, what a fantastic story. Dope as fuck. Okay, so I absolutely had to call him because I need to know. Like, doctors, y'all, like, does this actually work? Please tell me it works. Thanks. Uh, this sounds absurd and impossible. Is it? Would love your medical opinion. Thanks. <laughs> Talk to you later. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix. Only on Anchor.